and good evening to everybody. I, I have visited Richmond Hill on many occasions, but I've never been here in this capacity. But regardless of the capacity, occasion, or immediate task, I am always comforted by the fact that Richmond Hill is a safe and sacred space. It is a beacon light. I believe the presence of the Lord is welcomed here. And as I thought about the power of that presence, my mind wandered back to my hometown of Portsmouth, Virginia, where the story of a successful farmer named Harry Hippie and his son Hip Hop Harry is now legendary. Long story short, Harry Hippie went through a dark season in his life when his wife passed away. A friend suggested that he reconnect with his local church. One Sunday, he hitched his wagon to his horse and rode to the church, but a tall usher lady standing at the door said, you can't come in this church. We don't serve your kind in this church, and she turned him away. The next Sunday, Harry Hippie put on his good overhauls, got in his truck, drove to the church, but this time a deacon stopped him at the door and said, you cannot come in this church. We can't have folk like you in this church. And so the next Sunday, not being one to be easily be discouraged, he put on his Armani suit, pulled his Sunday go to meeting car out of the garage, picked up his son, Hip Hop Harry, and parked in front of the church door. And don't you know that same usher lady was back at her post of duty and she said, this is a sacred church and neither you nor your hip hop son fit in or are welcome here. Confused, dejected, and rejected hip hop Harry and his son, or Harry Hippie and his son, just went to the bench outside the church, perplexed, perturbed, disturbed, and unnerved. They sat on that bench and prayed and prayed and prayed some more. They had their own worship service right there on that bench, right in front of the church. And legend has it that right then and there, Jesus, Jesus self appeared on the bench right beside them. Jesus said, don't worry about it, Harry. Me and my dad have been trying to get in that church since they built it, and we can't get in either. It's good to have a safe and sacred space where we are welcome in every season. So I thank you for the invitation, and I would like to visit the text that I want to concentrate on this evening. It is Genesis, the 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 14. There, these words are penned. Sometimes later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God, God's self will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife and slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, 
Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Come with me for a moment. I was two years old and I remember the occasion vividly because it was the occasion of my first and only spanking. You see, I had committed a cardinal sin. I disobeyed my mother. In a last-ditch effort to escape her rebuke, I ran towards the front hallway to hide under the stairwell, which only made bad matters worse because the front hallway was dark. I wanted to seek shelter in the dark, but I was afraid of the dark. I was betwixt and between. So in my paralytic state of indecision, my mother found me, delivered a stunning rebuke that deflated my ego, not to mention my rear assets, and it seemed to last for an eternity. Then she hugged me, kissed me, and told me to sit down, watch TV, and wait for Daddy to come home. A black and white clip of the man I call Dr. Martha Lucy King came on. Mommy and Daddy always talked about somebody knocking at his door at midnight, but I didn't understand. The camera flashed to a slick-haired man Daddy called Mr. Adam Clayton Powell, who was articulating his signature mantra, keep the faith, baby. Then the camera panned to policemen, dogs in one crowd running and another crowd looking real mad. Mommy, what does keep the faith mean? She said, baby, it means you got to believe even when believing doesn't seem to make sense. And many years later, as I left home for college, she told me to believe when common sense is not common and reason flies out the window. So for our time together, I want to direct our attention to the topic, faith, even in the midnight hour. Faith, even in the midnight hour. You see, the fact of the matter is there are times when we don't want to be faithful, don't feel like being faithful, decide not to be faithful. We are not faithful because we become despondent when darkness envelops the landscape. Pressures descend like a sledgehammer. The ubiquitous uncertainty of our individual and collective circumstances unfold. Money gets funny, change is strange, and life gets rearranged, or money is a new level, different devil. Community tensions bulge at the seams, complexities arrive. Options seem few and far between because we're in the midst of the midst. And in the midst of our prayers, we cannot see our way clear, cannot see the results of our efforts. We are not faithful because ferocious fear invades us. Tornado-like trepidation grips us. Gale force winds attack us. And a spirit-wrenching tsunami of the soul strips our resolve to keep the faith. In other words, there's trouble on the left and on the right and in the front and back. It's over me and under me, and I just can't see. In such times, Fear clouds our vision because we just cannot fathom, perceive, or intellectualize a way out of the present circumstance which masquerades as a puzzling predicament for which there is no foreseeable resolution. Or, to paraphrase the matter, sometimes we cannot see a way through this present darkness. We don't see a way forward for the better. We just can't seem to find the spirit in the dark. And parenthetically, darkness is not merely predicated on the absence of electromagnetic radiation within a particular portion of the electromagnetic spectrum detected by the human eye as light. 
Darkness can be interceding but seeing no visible change in circumstances. Darkness is falling in love at first sight with the object of your affection, then realizing after the third date that your sweetheart is Godzilla reincarnated. Straight out of an Aretha Franklin blues song, no good, heartbreaker, a liar, and a cheat. But you don't have the faith to walk away and wait for the real prince or princess charming. The audacity and unmitigated gall to wait till the change comes. Darkness is a six-figure job you hate, yet you lack the faith to step out of your comfort zone and into the calling. Darkness is more month than money and more bills than briefcases to hold the bills. Darkness is the tumorous lump that suddenly occurs when you're playing your A game at the height of your career. Darkness is that boss, that professor, that gatekeeper, that church member who can't stand you or even the thought of you. Darkness is phenomenal talent, but the feeling that there's nowhere to put it and no way to work it. Darkness is weary, run down, worn out, tired, and nowhere to turn. Darkness is witnessing the demise of the desperate, the despised, the damned, the disinherited, disrespected, and rejected. Darkness is relational and vocational. Darkness is the midnight moment of despair and indecision. Darkness is not either or. It's both and all of the above. In the text, Abraham is caught between a rock and a hard place. And in this life, there will be tight places, tough races, and midnight dark places. However, through it all, thanks be to God. The text shows that we can indeed be faithful. In fact, God's greatest gifts emerge when we are faithful in the darkness. When we feel farthest from God, that's when God is closest to us. Even when circumstances look iffy, dark, and hopeless. When we feel broken, battered, and badgered. When it looks like the sun isn't going to shine anymore. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly God paints a rainbow in the sky. God does not renege on God's own plan, promise, provision, protection, and direction. God is in the midst of things, even though it may seem like, look like, and feel like we are walking blindly in the midnight hour. But keep on walking, because verse four says that Abraham saw the place in the distance and the text suggests that he kept on walking. Oh, but I have a question. If you're listening to me and if you're ready for the question, just say question. Question. There you go. I'm so glad you asked. How can we be faithful in the dark? How can we be faithful even when it's pitch black at the midnight hour? Listen. For starters, we can be faithful because there is power in faithful submission. Isaac has already asked in verse 7, Father, I see the stuff here to burn the offering, but exactly who is supposed to be the offering? For a split second, Isaac must have felt like he had traveled fast forward through time, landed in a real-life reproduction of a bad horror movie, and due to some cruel twist of fate, he had landed the starring role as the murder victim. But that wasn't the case. In verse 8, Abraham responds to Isaac's inquiry. My son, my precious child, God, God's self will provide the offering. You see, God didn't want Isaac to die. Rather, God wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in the intimacy of his heart so that it could be clear that Abraham loved God even more than he loved the apple of his eye, his miracle child Isaac, this precious gift born to older parents, this marvelous exemplification of God's wonder-working power. So it seemed like a dark moment. Nevertheless, Abraham had the faith to lay Isaac on the altar. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. We have to be willing to lay that for which we intercede, that which we love, idolize, worship, deify, on the altar. 
I, I'm talking about our predilections and affections, our vices and our devices, our toys and our decoys, our stilettos and falsettos, our Barbies and our Bacardi, our cars and our stars, our vocations and motivations, our libations and sensations, our selfish ambitions and afflictions. And when we have the faith to lay down, surrender, sacrifice, that thing, that fixation, that habit, which actually or potentially deflects our attention from God, the opportunity door swings wide open to manifest miraculous power, whether visibly discernible or not, in what would otherwise be a hopeless situation. Through faithful submission, we are imbued with God's power in the darkest hour. We arrive at this compelling juncture, this pericope, this vantage point in the 22nd chapter of Genesis after 90-year-old Sarah and 100-year-old Abraham assumed they were in the night season of their reproductive years. But surprise, 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 here comes Isaac, which means that regardless of our age, 2, 22, or 100 or 2, we can be faithful because God does miraculous things through us in darkness. In other words, quite often there is a miracle in the mess. Moreover, God provides opportunities smack dab in the middle of the mess, the macabre, the midnight hour. That's when God contemporaneously deepens our capacity to obey. As a matter of fact, we find that nighttime is the right time as God does miraculous things through us in the night season when it seems that it's all over except for the crying. Now, darkness can be messy. Look at verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. I don't know what you call that, but that's a mess. A mess in a dark moment with no hint of a door opening, break coming, or miracle manifesting. Nevertheless, a miracle was waiting in the wings. I believe Dr. Norman Vincent Peale captures the essence of this miracle working power, this wonder working power in a contemporary setting. Come with me again for a minute. One day, this is the way he tells it. An auctioneer thought it was probably hardly worth his time to deal with an old worthless violin. You know the story. The lights were low because the violin was so messed up they didn't want anybody to really see it. It was battered and beaten, scratched and scarred, worn and weathered, so much so that it was almost beyond recognition. But the auctioneer smiled and said, who'll start the bidding? 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, $2, how about three? $3 once, $3 twice, going, going, and it would have been all over but a seasoned gray-haired man sitting in the aisle seat on the last row of the last section stood up, walked down the aisle, picked up the violin, wiped the dust away and tightened the strings. Then he picked up the bow and played a melody so pure and sweet and soul-quenching deep that the molecular atmospheric structure in the room shifted, changed, charged the ethers, and recalibrated the energy until the auditorium was saturated with music almost sweeter than an angel sings. The awestruck audience was spellbound. The music ceased. When the auctioneer began, at first his voice was quiet and low. What is the bid for this old violin? And he held it up high. 1,000? 1,000? 2,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000, 500,000, once, 500,000, twice, going, going, gone for 500,000. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we don't quite understand. What changed its worth? To which both men replied, it was the touch of the master's hand. And many a person with life out of tune, battered and worn and walking in the dark, is auctioned cheap in a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. But the master comes and we understand. 
the worth of a soul and the miracle that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Sometimes we feel battered like that old violin. But make no mistake, we can be faithful in dark times because God is sovereign. And when it looks like midnight is upon us, it's simply God's balcony over troubled waters, God's beacon in the darkness, God's compelling call to the next level. Perhaps you say, do you believe that Peyton to which I will unashamedly and unapologetically reply, yes, Lord. Come with me one more time. Let me show you. In verse 1, God says, I will tell you about the mountain. In verse 12, God commutes the death sentence, freezes the frames of the executioner's hand in midair, and stays the execution through one one staccato command, do not lay a hand on the boy. And by the time we get to verse 13, Abraham spots the ram that God has special delivered for a time such as this. My mama used to say, God's always got a ram in the bush. We can have faith in dark times because of the sovereign God created us as great somebodies from God's great somewhere imbued with fantabulous individual gifts which are edified and personified through God's plan and purpose perfected in darkness, collectively connected to each great somebody else and inextricably woven into God's universal tapestry. In other words, we're in this thing together and all power is manifested through a magnificent, all-encompassing, overarching, magnanimous, divinely orchestrated, supernaturally charged, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent infrastructure, architectural designed, creatively engineered, and strategically led by great God Almighty. Now, how do you know that, Peyton? I thank you so much for asking again. To make a long story short, in a crooked path straight, in the beginning was the word, and the word was light. Life was imbued with a rhythm, and the rhythm needed a baseline. The baseline needed a beat, and to stay in rhythm on the beat, the beat needed a light to suspend darkness. The light needed eternal power. The power needed a source, so God sent the source, enabled us to plug into the light of the world, which meant that when God flipped that switch at the first and greatest grand illumination and said, let there be light in that one golden minute you and I were right there in it caught up in the sovereign way making heart fixing mind regulating master's hands in which faith is predicated morning by morning new mercy by new mercy miracle by miracle on the hill you see there is a space one of the finest spaces you ever could find. That space is on the hill. The hill is in the city, and the light shines all around. In that space, there are some people of faith. They gather some of the finest folk you ever could find. The people of faith are in the space. The space is on the hill. The hill is in the city. The city is Richmond, Virginia, and the collective power of the people in the place called Richmond Hill invokes the presence of the Lord who strengthens us to keep the faith and keep on keeping on in every season and keep on keeping on and keep on keeping on and keep on keeping on, like I said, you can keep the faith in every season, even in the midnight hour.